This podcast is part of a pod course offered for ASHA CEU credit through SpeechTherapyPD.com. As part of the December to Remember sales event, SpeechTherapyPD.com is offering all pod courses for $9.99 apiece through the end of December. That's more than 35 episodes of First Bite with Michelle Dawson and The Speech Link with Char Beauchart for just $9.99 apiece. To get this discount, simply use the code JOY at checkout. SpeechTherapyPD.com is a certified ASHA CE provider. Char Beauchart here. True story. I just hung up the phone with an SLP that had attended an on-site seminar. She said she loved the seminar, but she forgot to fill out her ASHA participant form. Sounds easy enough, huh? Uh Uh-uh. The seminar was three months ago, and all the paperwork had been submitted, and ASHA doesn't take late forms. So I said, Linda, you have to file an appeal with ASHA. Then she said, this is a nightmare. I drove two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and now I have to file an appeal. I felt for her. And then I said, Linda, have you ever heard of SpeechTherapyPD.com? She said, no. I said, just get your CEUs online, girl. That's what I do. You don't have to leave home. They have over 500 hours of video, a huge variety of topics for SLPs that work with children and adults. And if you don't want to watch a video, then listen to the pod courses and get your CEUs that way. Then she said, they're pretty expensive, right? I said, uh, no. Their plans start at $89 a year, for heaven's sake. And then I said, do you want the icing on the cake? SpeechTherapyPD.com has scheduled a CEU cruise next summer to Italy and Greece. Woohoo! She said, okay, I'm looking them up right now. And so should you. SpeechTherapyPD.com. Check them out. Tell your friends. You'll be glad you did. Hello and welcome to The Speech Link, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Shara Beauchart, speech-language pathologist, and I invite you to join us as we share practical strategies to take your therapy to the next level. We'll talk with experienced experts who have achieved extraordinary results and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Speech Link. Today's a little different. I do not have a guest But I've decided that I'm just going to talk today. (laughs) I've gotten several emails, actually, recently and through the years, about how to remediate er, as well as other speech sounds. But I thought I would talk about why some er or r remediation techniques work and why others don't. I have done therapy with hundreds and hundreds of children and a few adults through the years on how to remediate their er. And I've done so pretty successfully. I've also studied about ER remediation through the years I taught at the university level. And I've done hundreds of seminars on how to remediate R and S and other speech sounds. Also, I've done several videos on R remediation and so on uh, that can be found at speechtherapypd.com. So why in the world am I doing another R presentation in the form of a podcast or a pod course? Here's why. Have you ever Googled 
how to do our remediation therapy. There are YouTube videos. There's other information and programs out there about ER. Many of them are excellent. Some of them are good. Some of them, I have to say, are information and techniques that I just wouldn't recommend. The production of ER is a really important sound to be able to say. And there's some misinformation out there. And in the next 60 minutes, I'd like to clear up some of the misconceptions. Now, before I do, please do not misunderstand me. I do not mean in any way to criticize anyone. People that put up information and YouTube videos and so on are only there to help other people. And I applaud them for doing that. But I do want to share with you information on how to analyze what you see and what you hear and be able to know whether it's a good idea, a good technique, good information on ER or not. Let's jump right in. Let's do a deep dive into the production of ER and then also explain why ER is a later developing speech sound. And because this is a pod course or a podcast, you can't see my mouth or any mouth model. So therefore, I'd really like you to focus on your own mouth. Do what I call focus and feel. It's the terminology I use with my kids. Focus and feel on your mouth, what your mouth is touching and what your mouth is doing, how it's moving. So let's talk about er. There are two ways to formulate or to contour the mouth in order to create the er sound. One is called the backup er. The other is called the retroflex er. Each one has three components, three important bottom line, lowest common denominator components. Let's talk about the terms though. Online and in your reading, you've probably read about uh, something called the mountain tongue or the bunched tongue. Um, you've probably heard about the retroflex er. But today we're going to call the one where the tongue contracts and pulls to the back, we're going to call that the backup-er. And the one where the front part of the tongue curls, the retroflex-er. And as we go through this description, do notice whether you use a backup-er or you use a retroflexer. And I'm talking the one that you use in your own speech, not the one that you do with your speech kids. Here are the three important components within each type, the backupper and the retroflexor. Let's begin first with the backupper. Notice your placement, lingual tension, and resonance chamber. If you're someplace where you can talk out loud, <laughs> say them with me. Placement, lingual tension, and resonance chamber. Those are the three components. Those are the three things that are most important about er when you are analyzing the child and what they are doing when they produce, when they try to produce their ER, and when you are trying to train them and do therapy with them to pull a good ER. Placement, lingual tension, resonance chamber. Let's dig a little deeper here and talk about what each one of those components are as they relate to the backupper and the retroflexor. Here's the backupper first. The back of the tongue lifts or humps up. And the back tongue corners, which we don't have corners in the tongue, but the back tongue corners <laughs> of the tongue anchor behind the top back teeth. They anchor in the same place where you make a k and a g, a k and a g. Feel that 
elevation. Feel the corners touching behind the top back teeth. That area behind the top back teeth is called the retromolar pads. You are now getting anchorage or stabilization with the sides of the tongue on the area on the retromolar pads. The mid-back of the tongue is elevated. It's quite high, but it's not touching, not quite touching the velum or the soft palate. It stays there, and it's encapsulating a space within the pharynx. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So that is the placement for the back upper. Make sure that the back, quotes corners of the tongue are touching the retromolar pads and not the side teeth themselves like it does for an S. That's different placement. Okay, we did placement. Lingual tension for the back upper. The tongue contracts and retracts, and then it elevates. There's quite a bit of tongue tension there. In fact, ER probably requires the greatest amount of contraction or tension of any consonant sound, okay? It takes a lot of tension. If you don't tighten the tongue, if there's no tension, then you don't get an ER. The third element is the resonance chamber. Now, for a backup ER, the ER itself is created in the pharynx, in the throat area, back behind the elevated back tongue that encapsulates a space and air bounces around back in there. ER, ER, ER. ER is a resonance sound. All the other sounds resonate as well, but ER is a directly resonant sound. So what do we have here for a backup ER? We have the back of that tongue that elevates and stabilizes on the retromolar pads, and the tongue has contracted, retracted, and elevated to the retromolar pads, holds its position, maintains that tension, encapsulates air in the pharynx, and you get ER. That has nothing to do with lips. Keep that in mind. All the action is in the back. All right. That's your back upper. Now, I bet some of you do, or a lot of you do, the back upper. But let's move on to the retroflex. Here we go. We're still talking placement, lingual tension, and resonance chamber. The elements, the positioning, the contouring is just a little different for a retroflexor. Again, and I want to emphasize this, the back of the tongue elevates and stabilizes on the retromolar pads. Super, super critically important. Please, a retroflexor is not just the front part of the tongue curling back. You know what happens? <laughs> if you just focus on the front part of the tongue curling back, then you get a tongue that retracts and the back of the tongue goes down the throat, okay? And you don't want that. So you want a back tongue that elevates, stabilizes on the retromolar pads. That's the first half of placement. The second half of the placement for a retroflexer is the front part of the tongue curls back. It does not touch the top of the mouth, the roof of the mouth, but it does curl back. And there's a very important reason for it. Because when that tongue curls back, it's creating a space intraorally where the air can resonate. I'm jumping ahead here, though. Okay, that is your placement for a retroflexer. The back of the tongue lifts. You get your retromolar pad stabilization placement, and the front part of the tongue curls back. How about lingual tension? Ooh, how about lingual tension with a retroflex? When that front tongue curls back, in essence, the mid tongue is contracting. 
it's contracting a lot. So when that mid-tongue contracts, the front tongue elevates and in this case curls back. That generates within itself quite a bit of tension. Okay. Next, you have the resonous chamber for a retroflex ur. Because of that curled nature of the tongue, the back of the tongue is elevated, okay, and the front part is curled back, you have kind of a scoopy-doo. You have a little bowl there, a big bowl with a lot of tension. And you also have the roof of the mouth that sort of creates that, that circle of that area, that resonance chamber, so that the air bounces around within that tongue that's elevated in the front and the back that's elevated and the roof of the mouth. Err, err, err. It sounds a little more forward. Now, I don't know if you'll be able to hear this and you'll be able to hear the difference or not, but I'm going to do the two errs. The backup err is first, then I'll do the retroflexor. Here's the backup err. Err. Here's the retroflexor. Err. Backup. Err. Retroflex. Err. Listen carefully. Err. 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 I think you might be able to hear a difference. The backup err, the sound is more toward the back because it is. The retroflexor, it's more toward the front, more intraoral. See? But each type, the backup and the retroflex, each type has its placement, its lingual tension, and its resonance chamber. The bottom line components or the elements to being able to produce a good er, And it's universal. I mean, it's just what you do. It's what is. And for every speech sound, you have to have a point of stabilization and a point of mobilization. Now for er, you add the contraction, you add the tension. You see, for a lot of other speech sounds, like for an S, you just have to have your placement. The sides of the tongue anchor to the insides of the top back teeth, the front part of the tongue lowers and the air flows over. Okay, not so for er. You've got to have your good, correct placement and your tension, and you have to entrap an area, a space, a resonance chamber, if you will, and air bounces around in there while you maintain that placement and maintain the tension. That's the key. Or I'm going to say those are the keys. Because er, or the production of er, is multi-layered. There are so many components, and they are so very unlike the other speech sounds that we produce. I know people say that it's kind of like an L. I guess it sort of kind of is. But it is different. It's very different from other speech sounds. And it does happen in the back. And you have to have that tension. Let me emphasize that tension piece. If you don't have tension, you don't have an er. I bet sometimes your kids have good placement, but they don't have that tension. The placement and no tension sounds like this. I'm going to put my tongue up into the backup er placement, and then I'm going to keep my tongue relaxed. Uh, uh. In fact, that may even sound like what your kids sound like when they're trying to do a good er. So er is not just a placement sound. It is a placement tension encapsulate a space sound. Okay? Because of the many layers 
and the requirements, the physical requirements of the ER, ER develops later. Just like a TH, it's just different. And you have to have contraction with a TH, and a TH develops later, and an L develops later. And when I say later, I mean they're developing after kindergarten many times. And an ER, a child that has an ER distortion in kindergarten or first grade or even sometimes in second grade are still developing. When I was in the schools, I usually didn't take an ER child to remediate that ER until the child was, mm, say, third grade and above. So you're still looking for that neurological development, that capability to kick in so that the person can do that multi-layering elements that are needed for a good ER. Well, my question to you is, did you figure out which ER you do in your own speech? Do you do a backup ER or do you do a retroflexer? I'd like to share with you that um, I have been taking my own little informal survey with groups of speech-language pathologists since 1993 throughout the U.S. and Canada, okay? And I am going to say it pretty consistently, actually it very consistently shakes out too. about 70 to 80% of the group do a backupper in their own speech. About 15% or so, 10 to 15% within the group, do a retroflexor, and about 5% or so do both, meaning they use both depending on the context of what they're saying. And how I interpret this, what this means therapeutically is that there's a higher propensity of individuals that do a backupper. Therefore, in my therapy, I'm going to start with a backupper, which makes total sense. And you're focusing on elevating the back of that tongue, getting the good retromolar stabilization, etc. But then if it turns out the child has a propensity for doing a retroflexer, you've lost nothing because the back of the tongue elevates also for a retroflexer. You just add the front tongue curling and get that resonance within the oral cavity. So in this section, what I'd like to talk about is what our kids are actually doing when they try to produce an er, and also when they try to produce a good er for us, and it doesn't quite come out correctly. It comes out ugh. First, typically their tongue is in a lowered position, a lowered midline position, and the back is not elevating, the front is not curling back, and the tongue is lax. There's reduced tension in their tongue. Now, they also add lip rounding. Now, why in the world do they add lip rounding? They try to generate or create a resonance space or a resonance environment by rounding their lips. Now, through all of this, just think about what's happening to the air. There's no encapsulation of a space, okay, like a pharyngeal space or the front tongue curling for an intraoral space. There's no space. The air is going straight through. And then they're trying to generate some kind of a sound like an er by rounding their lips to create a resonance. So that lip rounding is inappropriate. Now, do I sometimes round my lips when I make an er? Yes, I think most of us do. But it's not part of the 
generation of that er sound. It's more of an emphasis because the er is generated intraorally, not via rounding lips. There's another area here that I would like to add in the next five minutes, <laughs> which doesn't give us much time, but I am going to just touch upon it, and that is, I'm going to call it the state of the mouth, okay? And that's when I look at the mouth to determine if they have the capability to retract the tongue and elevate it up on the ret retromolar pads, if they have the capability to contract the tongue, and if they are able to actually sustain that position to generate the resonance chamber and the resonance sound. Now, a couple of things that may trip us up is a narrow dental arch where they literally cannot get their tongue up onto comfortably up onto the retromolar pads. Another thing that may trip you up is a lingual, a restrictive lingual frenum that actually inhibits the tongue from retracting and elevating back on the retromolar pads. And just case in point, you can't cheat. You can't move your tongue forward and get stabilization on the sides. It has to be in the back on the retromolar pads. Go ahead and try it. Get your good er, er. Now move your tongue forward. Er, er, it doesn't work. You have to have that particular positioning in the back. Before we end this section, I'd like to talk about two more things that can kind of impact your er, possibly impact your er. One is a chronic open mouth position where the tongue is chronically on the floor of the mouth, chronically in a lax state where there's just not a lot of contraction there. That can impact that ease or the ease of generating contraction, retraction, and elevation. And then the next one I want to spend a little bit more time on, and that is the sensory issue, the intraoral sensation. Now, rarely do we hear people talking about intraoral sensation and getting intraoral feedback, mainly because it's very abstract and it's really hard to measure, if, if at all. The motor piece, the movement of speech, is quite as easy to see and easy to measure and, and so on. But, ooh, that sensory piece, you really can't because sensation is inside each one of us. So you can't see a sense. You can only see how it manifests. Or, you know, a, a typical example may be taste. Taste is a sense. And I can't see what you are sensing when you taste an apple or a taste chocolate, but you do. And the only way that I'm going to know if you like it or if you don't is maybe by your facial expressions and by what you say. So there's always a stimulus and a response when you're looking at sensation because it's inside of each one of us. Now, I was a little hesitant to even talk about this on this short pod course podcast, but I'm going to because it's very, very important. And I'd like you to maybe do your own research, think about it, feel free to email me, whatever you want to do. But take a look at this in your kids. And I'm only mentioning this because I have seen this time and time and time again through the years. I mean, we're talking hundreds of ER kids that have, that have this characteristic, and that is high po sensation intraorally in the back region, in the pharyngeal region. 
If you take a tooth out and you palpate and you do firm press release and you start at the front of the tongue and you go to the next part, which is the mid tongue, and then you head toward the back and then you're bouncing off the pharyngeal wall, literally many er kids, many, many, I'm going to say 90% of the kids that I've done with this with through the years do not have a normal gag response. You can palpate the back pharyngeal wall and they're looking at you like, uh, okay, so what? <laughs> you take it out and you say, all right, did that make you want to do anything? And the kid goes, no, what am I supposed to do? So with many ER kids, now take this, just, you know, somebody take it, do some research on it, please. But take a look at it. I mean, this is from one therapist to another. Take a look at that sensory piece. Now, just so you know, in my therapy, I also do. I take a tooth out and head to the back and palpate back in there. And after two or three weeks, you will see. Now, this is not on every kid. This is not a science. Okay, this is we're doing therapy here. And there's always, you know, differences within children, within individuals. But palpate that posterior area. And what I want to see is a greater sense of awareness of the back of their tongue, the elevation, the contraction, the stabilization placement, the ability to sustain that placement. It's important to think about speech and the sounds of speech and the auditory component. But you know what? That mouth component, the oral sensory motor component, is where it is all formed. Speech is formed intraorally. Obviously, we all know that. But it's important to look at the source of speech, not just the auditory result. We're going to shift gears now, and I'm actually going to do something that uh, I've shied away from doing for years. Um, an SLP would come up to me in a seminar and say, what do you think of, you know, blah, 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 tool or technique? What do you think of it? And my pat answer was, and still is, if it works, do it. <laughs> if it doesn't work, don't do it. And, uh, you know, my basic philosophy uh, as far as doing therapy is you've got to have options. Why? Because we work with human beings and every person, little person or big person is different. They're unique. They respond differently to techniques that we do. So you've got to have a lot of information, a lot of techniques, a lot of therapy options in your back pocket, in your memory bank so that you can pull them up when you're doing therapy. Um, I am not the kind of therapist where I have one or two techniques and uh, that's it. I am not the kind of therapist that I have a curriculum like a second grade teacher and just go through that curriculum. No, I've got lots of different techniques and options that I look at when I'm working with my kids and uh, try every single one of them. It's my responsibility to help that person. And I take my responsibility quite seriously. With that said, I am going to talk about some of the techniques that I have seen and read uh, YouTube videos and so on, um, on our remediation and provide my comments. And like I said earlier, I have great admiration and respect for those that are willing to share ideas and techniques and strategies. Uh, we all need as much as we can so that we can help our kids and our adults out there. Hey, busy SLP. 
Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charbochart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. All right. As I look at other techniques, I kind of get the sense that we're all looking for the magic STEM technique, you know, STEM is in stimulate or stimulation techniques that here do this one thing and magically the child is going to be able to produce an ER. Um, well, that may or may not happen. And it hasn't typically happened with most of the kids that I've worked with. So I'm sure that there's, you know, a few kids out there that you're just going to say, here, say this sound, er, and the kid, whoo, is going to do it, <laughs> you know. But uh, some of the techniques that I've read about and, uh, and that I've seen, most of them have to do with the retroflex er. There's a lot out there on generating a retroflex er, where the one where you curl your tongue back and so on. I do see a missing piece, and that is elevation of the back of the tongue. If you do not elevate the back of that tongue, as I said earlier, then who knows where it's going to go. <laughs> and that is typically where you get that kid that sounds like he's making a laryngeal er, you know, with an er way down his throat. And I'll demonstrate it, and you might be able to hear that. And it's where the kid curls his tongue way back, and the base of the tongue goes way down, and you get the resonance chamber, but it's down further than it should be. Arr, arr, arr. And obviously, that's not going to work. It does sound better than the uh that the child is doing, but that's not going to carry over because it's not comfortable and it's not easily accessible. That tongue has to move too far out of the operating zone for it to be consistent. So my first concern is that if someone is trying to stimulate a retroflex er, that they just are curling the front part of the tongue back and not elevating the back of the tongue, which is necessary for stabilization and to generate that sort of cupped tongue so that you can get your resonance in there. There are those that say to the child, here, say an L, ol, and then slide the tongue back. So it's an effort, and I certainly understand the importance of tactile contact uh, of that tongue on top, which would help to guide that tongue. But two things. Again, I'm just concerned that the back of the tongue is not elevating, and it needs to. And the second concern is that that tongue may end up staying on top, <laughs> okay? Actually, some kids will learn to slide their tongue back, use it as tactile guidance, and then release and you get the curl. But some kids want to keep their tongue up there. Now, here's another risk. And I have heard some kids try and make an er sound. And then when they're, they move into the next sound after that er, like a vowel, you hear er done, er lead. It's like they make a little tippy tap after that er. And obviously, that's not good. Another sliding technique, and usually this one's leading into the back upper, is to use E, where the sides of the tongue are anchored on the insides of the top back teeth. Usually, there is a bit of a smile so that the lips are not puckered. 
and you slide the tongue back to the retromolar pads and to that placement. There's got to be some kind of a destination rather than the tongue just blindly pulling itself back and uh, uh, saying an er. <laughs> so aim for the back corners anchoring on the retromolar pads as much as possible. In a few minutes, I will talk with you about how I encourage kids to recognize and focus and feel on the retromolar pads with the back tongue corners. So I use a little tool and I'll talk to you about that here in a minute. Okay, let's talk about extreme lip rounding. I saw a video, a YouTube video the other day, and it was on um, an, an SLP encouraging someone to do extreme lip rounding, which will help to generate an er. Well, um, it may or may not. And, uh, you know, chances are it won't. And I'm going to say for most kids. Why do I say that? Because when we round lips, it is telling, it's indicating to airflow to come on this direction, come through here. Don't stop and resonate anywhere. So the lip rounding encourages forward production, forward airflow. Don't stop and resonate air, which is, of course, what we want it to do, to either resonate pharyngeally or resonate intraorally within a curled tongue, back elevated, front elevated. So lip rounding is, again, more of an emphasis once you get your er, but I'm not so sure it's a great stem technique. So um, if it works, hallelujah, but do not be surprised if it doesn't. A word about anchorage on the sides. I also have seen and heard SLPs recommending to get side tongue anchorage, which is really good. But I'm not sure that it's always specified on the retromolar pads. Basically, it should not be the sides of the tongue and the sides of the teeth, uh, which is, you know, the same place where you make your t anchorage or your s, your s anchorage. It's further back, meaning further back on the upper dental arch way behind the top back teeth, using the back tongue corners. I know I've said that before, but I can't emphasize that enough. And if you're not sure, sure where the back tongue corners are, then make a good K or a good G, and or even a good NG, ng, like in king, and you stabilize back there, okay? So make sure that the stabilization placement is correct. It's not just the sides because that isn't going to work. You can't, remember, you can't cheat. <laughs> you can't have a, a more forward tongue and still produce a good er sound. With that said, let's talk about how do you identify the retromolar pads and the back tongue corners. Here's the key. Use a floss aid dental floss holder or a floss mate dental floss holder. I will say, do not use those small floss picks. Okay, I'll talk about those here in a minute. That could be used for something else. But as far as identifying the retromolar pads and the back tongue corners, um, well, you can't beat that floss aid. And you can get them on Amazon or and sometimes at uh, drugstores. But they're bigger. They're about three inches long, hard plastic, um, has a V end and then a handle, a single handle, and 
It's wonderful. Now, I do not put dental floss in there <laughs> Okay. when I'm trying to emphasize the back tongue corners and so on. What you want to do with that is palpate the two areas and then match the two areas, meaning ask the child to open his or her mouth and with the dental floss holder's prongs pointing down, go inside the child's mouth and palpate the back tongue corners so that you are bilaterally palpating the back tongue corners just because the prongs are built that way on the dental floss holder. And then take it out, turn it over so that the prongs are are sticking up, go back in and then palpate on behind the back top teeth on the retromolar pads, take out the dental floss handle and then ask the child to match the two so that the sides of the tongue are touching the retromolar pads. Have him close his or her eyes. Take some time with this. Move the tongue down, move it back up, find the pads. Open their mouth again, put in the dental floss holder, palpate the back tongue corners, and then the retromolar pads. Have them close their eyes and focus and feel the sides of the tongue on the retromolar pads so that they can identify that area. That is super, super critical. Now, let me say this. What you're going to want to do is, okay, do you feel this? Put your tongue there. Now say, er, <laughs> okay? And you can try it. Who knows? Maybe it'll work for the child. But, you know, if it doesn't, don't be surprised. And that's okay because that's one piece. Remember, that's just the placement. You still have the tension piece and you still have encompassing a space and generating the resonance. So that's a piece of it. A really important piece, but a piece. In addition, you do want to address those small white floss picks, I believe they're called. And I've seen people use the end with the floss to generate front tongue curling, you know, for a retroflex er. You know, that seems pretty logical. I've actually used dental floss in the floss aid dental floss holder and done the same thing. And I have actually used it to generate front tongue vertical movement for a T sound t or for an S sound or for a retroflex er. So yes, that makes total sense to me. But what you cannot use those small white floss picks for is identification of your retromolar pads and the back tongue corners for your stabilization. That just wouldn't work. (laughs) They're too small and uh, they're just not shaped right. So just word to the wise. There are also devices that are legitimately created and manufactured to generate good speech, specifically an ER. Uh, Speech Buddies is one that comes to mind, and they do have a device that pretty much focuses on generating front tongue curling for the retroflex, and it looks pretty good. I honestly have never used one, so I really don't have firsthand knowledge whether it works or not. I've never used it with my kids, but I have certainly seen one, and it looks really good for generating tension and pulling that tongue back. Uh, into a retroflex curling the front tongue. and um, But then again, I would just mention to be sure and think about generating the back tongue elevation and the stabilization on the retromolar pads and all the stuff we've talked about uh, and adding that and making sure that you focus on generating a resonance chamber. 
Another tool that I've seen, but I've never used, and I'll just mention these, is bite-r.com, bite-r, and it's by Susan Hazley. I am hoping that I'm saying her name right. She's a super nice, super dedicated SLP. She generated this and manufactured this device specifically for ER in order to get lingual tension for ER. So I think that's just a really good thing. And it's a device that looks like you bite on it, which, you know, keeps the jaw stabilized and so on and helps to guide the tongue. And just visit her website, bite-r.com by Arctic Bites. So check it out. Uh, another one is Lift R, L-I-F-T-E capital R. And it is a small device. I do have one of these and it has a handle with a curved piece of plastic on the end. And it looks like something that I could use to try and push that tongue back, maybe, you know, to head toward the back for a bunched backup er. And I have tried it, and um, honestly, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I kind of need something that's not slippery, and it's kind of a smooth plastic. You know, you could kind of accomplish the same thing, honestly, with a toothette and just taking a toothette and kind of pushing the tongue back. And maybe I'm misinterpreting this. I hope not. It does help, but I need the kid to be able to retract their tongue deliberately. And maybe this would help the child to discern how to do that. Give it a try. Another area that I would like to briefly discuss is just using the auditory stimulus, which auditory is excellent. In fact, I'm a person that really focuses on sensation. And I love to use auditory and tactile and visual and uh, taste even. <laughs> you know, I like to use flavoring on my therapy tools. So I like to use any form of sensory input that I can. But just using auditory may not be enough for some kids. And I'm talking about just saying to the child, here, honey, say this. Here is an er. I want you to make this sound. Just move your tongue around in there and make this sound. And, you know, maybe the kid will hit it. <laughs> you know, I've actually done that before. But it doesn't always work. It doesn't work with every child. And honestly, I believe that if the child could do it, he probably would. You know, so we need something more. We are working with children where the first round of development didn't work. You know, if we're working with an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 16-year-old, their developmental boat has sailed. And, you know, we have to really get in there and add some other indicators to the child, provide some specific forms of sensory input and say, hey, this is where you put your tongue. This is how you tighten it. And this is the components that need to be done for this er. So what I'm saying is don't just use auditory, but use it with additional forms of sensory input. Another related recommendation is... Don't just stem the sound of the sound. Add other components. The risk of just focusing on the sound is that the actual physical production of how that child is making the sound may not be comfortable and conducive to easily moving from that speech sound into others or from a vowel into the target speech sound. Take care that the way that they are producing that speech sound is correct. And by the way, I don't know as if I've even said this, but here are two really important words 
stabilization, and mobilization. Every speech sound can be broken down into its point of stabilization and how it moves. Every speech sound, obviously including an er. And I want to make sure that the stabilization mobilization is correct and in a comfortable position so that the child can easily and physiologically move from speech sound to speech sound. Yes, I'm working on an individual er, but I'm always focused on how is this going to fit into co-articulated speech. There has to be that stabilization mobilization, but do keep in mind that speech is small. Speech productions are small. They have to be small movements in order to fit comfortably and consistently into co-articulation. And on top of that, we know that small movements come from stabilized movements. And all stabilized movements in the mouth for speech sounds have to be near the moving part. So that's why you stabilize on the retromolar pads, because the, quote's moving part is actually the center of the back of the tongue. It's just like when you're making a B sound, as in boy. You stabilize or contract bilabially the corners of the mouth. So you stabilize near the moving part. It's just basic physiology. It's what you have to do in order to get the job done. Now, let's come full circle. I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast pod course about the three components of ER. Remember what they are? Placement, lingual tension, and resonance chamber. Now, I am very focused in my therapy on generating a good, consistent, comfortable er before I move on and start putting it into consonant vowel, vowel consonant, and so on, into words, into phrases, into sentences. I want to make sure that that kid's er is comfortable and consistent. So I really focus on that stabilization, mobilization piece and those three components. So how do I do that? Number one, buy a dental floss holder for each child, put it in a baggie, label it with their name. At the beginning of every session, palpate the back tongue corners, the retromolar pads and match and do it and do it and do it. Every time, make sure that they do it consistently, that they know where that placement is. Next, let's focus on the central portion of the back of the tongue. I want them to be able to elevate that centralized portion. Now, how in the world do you do that? Now, specific to back tongue elevation, and if you have a child that is having difficulty just tuning in to the back of that tongue and elevating it, sometimes when you say, how do you move your tongue? (laughs) You know, they just focus on the front and it curls back or the whole thing moves out. A lot of times the back of the tongue is just ignored. They don't know how to access those tongue muscles. So you might want to take a toothette. And if you're not familiar with a toothette, it's just sponge on a stick. You can get them at Amazon or iMed, I-M-E-D dot com, and put a little flavoring on it. I go to um, Amazon again for two tarts, T-O-O-T-A-R-T-S for the flavoring. There's three different flavors. Spray the flavoring on your toothette, place it near the back of the tongue. And I'm not talking about in gag territory. I'm talking about in the back of the tongue, the part that lifts to make speech sounds. And remember, again, sometimes our er kids are more hyposensitive. So they'll be very accepting of that 
to that on the back of the tongue. Place it on the back of the tongue, bite on the stick, and elevate the back of the tongue and squeeze the flavoring out. And do it and do it and do it. Lift and lower, lift and lower, lift and lower. So that that child feels that portion of the tongue moving vertically. That's super important. You want vertical tongue movements, not horizontal. Another piece is to make sure that that tongue is contracting. And then the next piece is contracting and able to move simultaneously. Now, one of the things that I do in therapy, as far as just the contraction piece, is have the child contract the tongue and then loosen it. Tighten it and then loosen it. To illustrate this for the child and for you over the podcast, since you can't see, make a fist with your hand, tighten it tight, 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 and now loosen it. And you can see the muscles. And but more importantly, you can feel the muscles contract. And then you can feel them loosen. I want my kids to have a sense of that contrast. I want them to feel lingual tension, be able to get it intentionally and feel lingual relaxation. So that when I say, honey, I want you to tighten your tongue and move it simultaneously, they can do so. If you think about it, there are three things going on there. Contracting, holding that tension, and then also being able to move the tongue. And that movement piece means tongue retracting, which a lot of our kids have difficulty with. Moving forward mm, is okay, but retraction, hmm, not so sure about that. And then also there's that component of hitting the mark, of reaching the destination, the back tongue corners on the retromolar pads. And then if it weren't difficult enough, they have to anchor that placement and hold the tension, hold the placement while air bounces around in the resonance chamber, either pharyngeally or orally. So mm, you can see a lot of layers. So let's pick this apart and look at it logically. I want my child to be able to discern contraction and relaxation. We already talked a little bit about that. But I want the child to be able to contract the tongue and then retract. Therefore, at first, I do not ask the child to retract and elevate and hit the retromolar mark. That's too many layers at one time. So I ask the child to tighten their tongue and then just retract it back, keeping it parallel to the floor. Do that many times. In fact, many of these I'm asking kids to do for a week or two weeks or three weeks to build in the capability of just being able to do it. The repetition is amazingly helpful. Next, I ask the child to contract, retract, and then elevate and hit the mark on the retromolar pads. And just do that and do that, just that movement. And then have them hold and entrap the air. Now, how in the world do you teach resonance? It's very abstract. I do not have an exercise or an activity, but here's what I tell the kids. I say picture in their mind, or maybe even I get a picture of a violin. And a violin is a resonance instrument. It has a certain shape, and it's empty inside. And when you strum the strings... Sound is created within that violin. 
sound resonates within that violin. Therefore, that's what you're doing when you lift the back of your tongue and you hold it and you tighten your tongue and air seeps in and resonates and bounces around in that area. The same thing happens for a retroflex er. Air bounces around in a space. But that means that you have to hold your tongue still and tight, fairly tight, not killer tight, but tight. Your tight tongue is like the walls of the violin. So as the air is encapsulated within the space, and then you add phonation, you add sound in your throat, that influences the sound that comes out your mouth. Tell your kids you don't have to force airflow. It'll just find its way out. Now, what we've done here is take a layering approach. Um, and some kids need this, but some kids don't. Some kids, you can tell them about placement, lingual tension, and resonance chamber, and lo and behold, they can do it. They can figure it out, <laughs> but other kids can't. So a lot of what we're talking about here are for those really challenging kids that are just, uh, you know, you're pulling out your hair and you just don't know what else to do. So take a look at those three components, get to know them well, analyze them in your own mouth, and then try it with your own kids. A little addendum to all of this. I just want you to know that um, there is information on my website, speechdynamics.com, and there is articles on there. Um, about ER, and it explains all of this even in greater detail. There um, are blogs. I have a, a weekly blog called Therapy Matters, and I've written articles about ER on there. And there's also a book on there about how to actually do the therapy, and it's called the EZR. So, you know, take a look around if you want feel free to email me. My email address is char, C-H-A-R, underscore Beauchart, B-O-S-H-A-R-T, at yahoo.com. And I wish you well with your ER kids. Hey, busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbeauchart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charboshart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now.